Hello there. You have stumbled upon the Terribly Vexed podcast. The fellas have been expecting you. Please prepare to have your mind blown squarely out of your ass. Be sure to set your motherfucker to receive. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to the Terribly Vexed podcast. This is uh, Josh over here. This is Justin. Hey, glad you decided to join us again. Once again, we're back. We're going to be talking about uh, Dr. Joseph Bell. You know we're going to get right into this one. We're just going to make it a quick little episode. No preamble. Not going to talk about anything. No current event garbage. Going on outside in the world today. We're just going to get right into it. Pointless. Take you back in time a few years, back to the 1800s. When Dr. Joseph Bell was uh, operating and uh, was in practice, uh, surgeon, surgeon, professor, professor, and master of, you know, deduction, master of deduction. That's one way of putting it, I guess. Right? <laughs> there we go. Do you want to like for shoot? For, what explain do you got? to the folks at home, perhaps, who Dr. Bell is. Or was. It was. Past what I mean. tense. Like perhaps what he's best known for. He's <laughs> got a special guest with us uh, this afternoon he, in the studio. Yes, we do. He is loving that couch. Josh's dog. A border collie that uh, some of you may know. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, post a lot of pictures of him there. His name is Jack. And he's a wild man. Yes, he is. He was his. asleep for about two hours until until I hit record, and then now he's waking now he's, up. Yep. <clears throat> Sorry. Well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> so who? Go who, ahead. That's the question. Who was Doctor Joseph Bell? That is the question I asked myself when you said, "Let's do an episode on Doctor Joseph Bell." I was like, "Who the hell? Who the hell? Who the hell is he? Is Doctor Bell? Yeah." Well, if I were to say to you, um, if I were to ask you, Justin, who is Sherlock Holmes? What would you say? Detective. He's a detective, right? Yeah. Um, he has a... But if, if I were to just ask you, <laughs> you would know who Sherlock Holmes is. Uh, a, a character created 100%. by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Ar- yes. Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes. A detective... That I would say most people in the world know, but they that probably thought he was not a real man. Probably thought he was uh, a fictional a, character. A fictional character, the invention of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, a, a character created to uh, for his stories, for his books. Yep, as I did. There you go. Until I threw out this idea that we should do an episode on Doctor Joseph Bell, mm-hmm. which is who. Sherlock Holmes was based off of. Yep. He was the inspiration yep. for Dr. Sherlock Holmes. Wait, no. Dr. Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> Where'd that come from? I was reading, I was looking at the word doctor in my notes is when I said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, he is the, he is uh, from where, from whence it all came. Yep. Uh, he, he was actually a professor of, uh, before it was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He was just Conan Doyle uh, in, in college when he went to, uh, to be a doctor. Little old Conan. Little old Conan. Yep. He, and uh, he was one of his professors. Yep. And he ended up being his assistant. Yeah, he was like his clerk his, or something his like that. His outpatient clerk. 
which essentially, I guess, just had to do with him taking notes, getting people's names, yep. getting the pedigree information, yeah, weight. All the, all the stuff they do. You know, when you go to the doctor's office... Basically, how you, how you doing? Step on this. And I think he was only his clerk for maybe like a year or two. It wasn't that long, really. No. And uh, from everything that I've read, he didn't really develop any sort of personal relationship with him outside of being his clerk in a working atmosphere. Yeah. Best I can tell. Yep. Now, yep. somebody listening to this podcast may know more, but uh, from every source that I, that I saw, both on the web and via several books that I look through, that seems to kind of be what they said. That uh, he just was basically his, and you know, there was a lot of students in the class, but for whatever reason, he picked young uh, Conan Doyle to be his clerk. Yeah, I think he said he's, you know, I think I read that he showed promise, mm-hmm. and that he was, uh, you know, he was astute. He was, uh, you know, seemed to be doing better than some of the other students for whatever reason picked him out of a hat you know you've got planets aligning here to make things happen because ultimately he would create the character of Sherlock Holmes later yeah base him off his professor had he picked another student Justin I'm listening he would have there would be no Sherlock there Holmes there would be no Sherlock more than likely because Done. he got to witness firsthand what we're going to get into here in a second which is right now um <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Joseph Bell's uh, uncanny ability to, uh, when they would bring in a, 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 a patient, his uncanny ability to diagnose what was wrong with them, as well as uh, sort of pick things apart about their, uh, where they're from, personality, job. Yep. And and all this just by look, giving him a good once over. Just no by, blood tests, anything like no nothing. Just nothing. Looking at them. This stuff didn't really exist at that point. You're talking like blood tests and all this kind of stuff. This is uh, to put it in the time period of the to be the late 1800s. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. This he, he's very much a pioneer of CSI. This is where pretty much where CSI was right. born with Correct. this man. Yeah. They they say that he was really one of the first forensic. Um, not uh, like forensic doctors, forensic. You I mean just a pioneer of forensic science? I yeah, think because is, he was, was utilized in deal is. yeah, utilized in in criminal work, which wasn't really, which wasn't really happening anywhere in the world at that time. Right, right. What was the term? Damn it, it's driving me crazy. That's what it is. Forensic science. I know, but there's a pathology. Actual, forensic pathologist. There it is. Yes. Thank you. For Christ's <laughs> sakes. He gave it's birth. drive me crazy. He gave birth to it. Essentially, he did. Uh-huh. He's one of the forefathers of it. This is when they oh, started yeah. utilizing something called science, right? To uh, detect uh, crimes and uh, criminals and sort of piece together, you know, make a case, actually produce evidence that could convict somebody of a crime. And uh, use that in court. And he was one of the first to do it. 100%. Dr. Joseph Bell. Hey. Yeah. You just named him at the end of the of a, of a, of a, a slight rant. You name a guy. Hey. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> what else you got? Well, I, it didn't go over that well. I thought it would go over a little bit. That was a lot. I, what, else do you, what else do you want? Uh, no, I, We're I, done. What right? I mean is... Yeah. 
Are we going to start like beginning of life? We're going to start. Oh, we certainly can. Some famous. You you certainly can. Cases, perhaps. Oh, we'll cover all that stuff in the next uh, hour or so, right? Fair enough. You want me to hit the basics real quick? Just real, like he was born. I'll tell you. I mean, I, I, I could tell you when he was born. I think um, most I could people tell you, are going to want to know what that is anyway. When when this happened to give us a frame of reference here. Okay. Well, we're young, saying the beginning of forensic science. You know, so that's you know. Yes. A lot of people don't know when that started. Well, I'll say. Young Joseph Bell was born on December 2nd, 1837 in Edinburgh. I know it's Edinburgh, but it's spelled Berg, and it annoys me. That's another topic we can talk about later. Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, what, he was? He got married? Probably. At some point to a gal named Edith. <laughs> uh, Edith Catherine Erskine Murray. You with me so far? Yeah. Yeah, they had a son named Benjamin, which uh, I didn't know this also. His son Benjamin until, never did anything, by the way. I don't no, think. no, no. God, no. But It's this old man that was the... Uh, but... What was it? I think it's the cracking of my chair, sorry. Oh, I thought it was the dog doing... So. Okay. Um, he Joseph Bell, did you know this? He was the great-grandson of Benjamin Bell. And he was the first scientific surgeon in Scotland ever. Wow. Great grandson. Imagine what what could that have possibly been? Joseph Bell was born in 1837. So he's the great grandson of a guy, the first scientific surgeon. What was that? First one to use a scalpel instead of a saw? <laughs> I don't I don't understand You're what You're saying that could it was probably be. archaic. Yes. Yes, extremely. But uh, maybe there was is, though, I think. some groundbreaking uh, stuff happening in the whole family here. It seems like you mm-hmm. know he was part of a sort of a lineage, yeah, uh, a semi lineage of people that were doing some groundbreaking stuff in the medical field, right? Yep, for sure. Then, just real quick, I'm just going to give you some just another thing. He went to the uh, University of Edinburgh Medical School and he got his uh, medical degree in 1859, which. You know, born in 1837, 1859, you do the math. Young man getting a medical degree. Yeah, I mean. There wasn't as much to learn. Maybe. Maybe you can cram it all in real quick. Yeah, I mean, you kind of wonder how much we've technologically progressed and how much we've learned yeah. the past 150 years. So you remove a lot of that. I wonder if that's why there's like, you get your MD and then you get like, but it's in proctology for example right right like that's why there's there's branches now yeah you have a you focus. Got your general practice doctor but back in the day that was it i think right there was just doctor yeah you're just a medical doctor yeah i think that's what conan uh doyle was this was just a general practitioner yeah that's all he was as well i say all that's all he was but you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. for sure uh, there weren't i mean you not everybody was in the medical field so. yep yep it was a big deal I would imagine. Yeah, you still have to learn stuff. Just so. the fact you can get in there also. He was the... Um, to he back was a to, legacy. Legacy. He was brought in because, you know, his grandfather was... That's it. That's all it was. He was dumb as dirt. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, another little, little little notch on his belt. He was the personal surgeon to Queen Victoria whenever she visited Scotland. She wanted him to... You Him know, and uh, be the man. Henry Littlejohn, who was another doctor who I think was a colleague of his, uh, 
They double teamed her medically. Yes. Not, yeah, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> they were both, yeah. Yeah. Associated or affiliated. Yeah. Right, right, right. Which is kind of interesting. I think that's kind of interesting, as, as we'll see later. So for you a number of reasons. Yeah, you definitely know more about the Little John stuff than me. That's, I don't. I don't really. That's for sure. I just know that he was. Oh well, okay then. And then, uh, yeah, I mean that's really all I have to be honest with you. I mean, I can tell you when he died. He died on uh, October fourth, nineteen eleven. So eighteen thirty-seven to nineteen eleven, and and he did a lot. Yeah, he did quite a bit. He did a bunch in that time. That's that's really all I got for the basics, anyways. So, oh, good. You know, just a little rundown, a quick rundown of the man's life, which gets us uh, gets us going, gets us in there. Hundred percent. So we're we're talking about him today because he was the inspiration for Sherlock Holmes. Yep. And of course, Sherlock Holmes was um, known for his powers of deduction, mm-hmm. noticing the little details. I know that you have some. Some specifics on that. 100%. If perhaps you would like to... And of course, I guess most or some of our listeners have read some Sherlock Holmes books, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Have you? Uh, the mis- No, you know what? I'm thinking of Perot, Agatha Christie. Nope, I'm on the... I no. guess that's a Sherlock Holmes sort of knockoff, right? Uh, well, some would say it's better, but... <laughs> you know. Who would say that? A lot of people. Agatha Christie's like considered a brilliant, brilliant lady. For her portrayal of detectivism, I see. Yeah, I'd um, say it's it's Pirro and Sherlock Holmes. Those are the two two top dogs. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the reason why he um, sort of you know created this character of Sherlock Holmes later, as I read in my research for this episode, was that uh, he himself, Arthur Conan Doyle, noticed that in a lot of the mystery tales or the detective stories that he was reading that the detective or whomever it was that was sort of the the protagonist would solve the case uh just almost through a series of just missteps Mm -hmm. and uh happenstance if that makes any sense like like clouseau not really coming to any sort of actual like following a, a process yeah there was no procedure. There was no. He didn't detect clues. He didn't piece things together. He didn't connect the dots. Right, like the clues are always like you know obvious. Oh, we got a handprint here, rather than what you're about to see. Yeah, Joseph Bell do. If even that, it would almost just be like the the case would solve itself in a series, like I said, of missteps. And he sort of just like was. He got. He was like, you know, we what we don't have right now is a character, a detective, that solves cases through actual hard work, through de- de- deduction, through observation, using his intelligence, using his vast knowledge of things. That's where the character of Sherlock Holmes came from, because he observed his professor in college, uh, Doctor Bell, doing that very thing, which is where we're going now. Mm-hmm. Um, him bringing his patients in and Dr. Bell being able to, most of the time, he had a, a better you know percentage of seeing these things in people, whatever it was, did, figuring out where they worked, where they were from, mm-hmm. than he did by not 
getting it right. Most times he got it correct. 100%. Does that make sense? I just completely lost where I was going with that. It, he, it, and I you're apologize. Saying, you're saying that he got it 99% of the time, he got it 100% of the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. And sometimes he got it wrong. And some could say that he used a combination of induction and deduction. Okay. Because he, he knew how to take in so much and then... With that, with that information, deduce. Almost like judging a book by its cover. One hundred percent. The very thing exactly they tell you that. to not do. There you go. Which is actually something you probably should do, and it also kind of maybe sort of goes into like your gut feeling a little bit. A little bit. Which we a... all have that. We all have this. This is something you can develop and make it, you know, but yeah. even stronger and more. And his was just spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Like so much so that he would teach his process to his students, like you were saying, and he he would he called it the method, like that was what he called it. And I, I got his nifty little catchphrase that he came up with. This is what like was on was on the door. Hit us with it to his conference room or whatever. Observe carefully, deduce shrewdly, and confirm with hard evidence. That was the method. Da-da-da-da-da-da. I like it. Yep, I like it a lot. There you go. So, like Josh was saying, he would have a group of people, some random person would walk in just to, you know, give give the students an example of what to do. Uh, this is an example. One time a guy came in, he said, hello, Mr. What's your name? And the guy said, well, Mr. Smith, or whatever his name is. Right. And at the end of it, you know, Bell gave him a good once over, you know, checked him out, looked at him, looked at him all over. And then, okay, Mr. Tyler. Good seeing you. And obviously, I'm just making up the names for, you know, examples. But he called him out by his real name. The guy lied to him right out of the gate. Gave him a false name. Bell, during the once-over, just happened to notice a dry-cleaning tag in his on the inside of his shirt collar. And so he called him by his real name. And that was just like, you know, simple. That was, that was a simple one. Anybody could have done that. Some sound simple, and they're so obvious that you're like... Why wouldn't I have just done that myself? Why wouldn't I have yeah. thought that myself? Exactly. But we but don't. No. For whatever reason, it's no, it's always it's, it's a muscle. You got to work it out. You know. Yeah. And I have, I, you know, I got I got some more. You want me to continue? Uh, I think we'd all like you to continue. Okay. Well, same kind of deal. A uh, you know a little, little old woman walked up on stage, and he kind of you know looked her over, gave her the once over, and then at the end of it, he said. I'm going to guess that you smoke from a short-stemmed clay pipe. And she was like, what the fuck? That's what she said back then. <laughs> That's how they talked in Scotland back then. What the fuck? And inside her purse, she pulled what out. What the fuck? What the fuck? There we go. We, we got it. We both nailed it. But she pulled out a short-stemmed clay pipe out of her purse. And then he went on to explain that uh, as he was looking her over, he noticed a small ulcer on her lip. And on the same side as the ulcer, her cheek was red. So he just, from that, he was like short-stemmed clay pipe. Not just a pipe. Clay, and it was short-stemmed because it, you know, heated her cheek up permanently. Right? Yeah. Do you have other examples? Because I remember one that I read was talking about he could tell from a particular kind of mud or dirt on a person's shoe. I do have two more. 
But if you have that one, no, 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 that was just I was I was thinking of one that I did read. Yeah. There's several of them out there. Yeah, yeah. That and one, I remember reading something like that. It was he was from a certain island that only had that color mud or something like that. So yeah, he yeah, knew yeah. he came from this island at this time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and because of the time of the conference or speech or whatever, he knew the boat he came in on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just put it all together. Yeah, yeah. So the guy, you know, just walking in the door. Yeah. No idea that he could pull all that information from him. Just from mud. The color of the mud yeah, this man but, knew. Uh, in his head, he's connecting the dots very quickly, you know? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I got two more. I can skip over one of them, but this one I really did enjoy. He was teaching his students. There was nobody involved. He just got like this this vial of some type of liquid. Index finger. Bleep, tasted the liquid, right? And he's he made like a face like, God almighty. This is the doctor. Yeah, this is Joseph Bell. He's like, he goes now. He passed his first student there. Said, "Now, you, now all all of you do the same." And they, you know, the students are like, "Oh boy, okay, okay. What what is this fluid? Where is it from?" So they all tasted it. It was god awful. It got back to Bell, and Bell's just like, nobody seemed to notice that I put my middle finger in my mouth instead of my <laughs> index finger that I dipped in that god awful garbage you all tasted. So it was just a classic, you know, teaching. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. He, classic prank, but it was also a good teaching moment. Very good. If they had just spotted the little, that's a little good difference. example of watching and and being mindful of the details. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't happen. None of none of them saw. Of all the students. Yeah, and that's really a, that's a good example because that would really take it to the next level. That would make you like, okay, you got to watch everything. You've got to see yeah. everything. You've got to raise your observe ob- ability to observe up. It's you know because yeah. normally we don't do that. No, not at all. The usual suspects taught us that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I meant to say Shawshank. Oh well. <laughs> How many times do you notice a man's shoes? Right. Exactly. Andy Dufresne. Yeah. 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 Right. What were you gonna say? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I thought you had something ready to go. Just trying to think of another movie. That we could use, uh, but you know. Well, what about uh, Robert pop culture Jr. references get injected in here every once in a while? Robert Downey Jr. plays Sherlock Holmes. He does. That's all I got for that. I've never <laughs> seen one of those movies. Lots of people have played Sherlock Holmes. That's true. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, you can you can watch a couple of. I think there's a couple, maybe like two. I'm thinking like two, just right off the top of my head, throwing this in there. Maybe like two documentaries on YouTube. You can watch old documentaries on Dr. Bell that will talk more about his method, about the way he did this stuff. I, I do have uh, some examples. I'm not going to go through them and read them uh, verbatim. Okay. I'm just picking a couple of the notes out because yeah. here's the problem. Okay. Just tell the uh, listeners here and you as you're sitting directly across from me. Yeah. Looking at you. The problem is. Looking at you. I always get too many notes for these things. Honestly, I do. And it's it's a little much. It's a little little hard to go through notes. There's a process, and I haven't quite figured it out yet, that will uh, allow me to speak fluidly, mm-hmm. to have a conversation with my co-host, get the information across, but then at the same time try to reference notes it's a complicated process that I don't think most appreciate, it, but yeah, I've learned it, to appreciate. It is, it's very difficult when you when you hear it, when you hear a good podcast that throws out a lot of information in like a timeline kind well, of form, like we try to do, try to do. But it's it's a it's a learned 
process. It's a skill. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, not going to, and I've tried this before, you know, maybe we'll use Sid later and throw some quotes in. I don't know. Okay. There's a lot of interesting information about him that you can read. We will include books with links that you can find all these books. Yeah. Uh, Internet Archive has a lot of these books where I found them. Create an account. Go in there. Read the information for yourself. But Easy. basically just talking more stuff, talking about the way he, he used his method. For example, just going to add this one in there. He was talking about a slight authoritative air with this particular patient, which told them that he was probably like a military officer. You see little things like that. The the way he was moving, his movements and stuff, you mean? Well, the way he was talking, the way he was showing respect, I I guess. Yeah, there were certain things like that. And you start to think about all these things like you could be noticing that could be giving you information, telling you things, Mm -hmm. helping your awareness of your situation. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm just going to throw this in there, too. I've read that there's a whole, like, be more like Dr. Joseph Bell, like a, a learning method that you can probably look up online. I found this one time. I tried to find it in preparation for this episode, for this podcast, so I could tell you a little bit more about it. But I just know that I've seen it before. Yeah. Where people have essentially developed this whole thing around, like, learning to be more like him. Because it's an important skill that we should probably all know. And maybe we had it at some point more than we have it now. Do you see people like I think so. walk around? They're stuck in their phones. Yeah, man. you're not even looking not even where you're walking. Basic stuff, like basic safety of yeah. your environment <laughs> yeah. and your awareness. Yeah. Not getting hit by a car. Yep. Or, um, or hitting someone with your car. Or, uh, you know, uh, some street toughs walking down towards you. You know, some no good nicks. <laughs> You know, some hooligans. Yeah. Like those guys need to be strung up by their Buster Browns. Right. Maybe, uh, <laughs> try to Jaws. S- squeak in a quote there. Was that Jaws? Yeah, it was. The mayor. Hung up by their Buster Browns. Buster, Buster Browns. So, you know, like, uh, these are important skills that I think everybody could probably stand to, uh, utilize yeah. in their daily life. Mm-hmm. If you could, if you could make it part of your daily life, it would be extremely helpful, I think. Just for like little things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Countless little things that I can't think of right now, but I can think of a lot of them. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying as I'm Thank you. reading my notes again, trying to find a little more information to share. Okay. Now I can also... I don't know. Never mind. I, I, that's jumping too far ahead. Too far ahead. I was going to bring up the old Eugene case, but... I think it's too far ahead. Do we get to start talking about them, like him and Doyle, kind of teaming up a little bit? <laughs> was I kind of doing that? Were they teaming up? Yeah, they kind of got called in together to look into some cases well, him, by Scotland Yard. I think it was him and Little John, Henry Little John, not Doyle. No, Doyle was never. I don't believe he was ever utilized. Oh, and anything see? I've ever found, he was never utilized in this stuff. Maybe. He I'm, was an author and a general practitioner of medicine, but he was never... Um, I must have misread. This would actually be a good time to tell you and the listeners right now that uh, uh, I wasn't really planning on to use this for an episode. In fact, uh, we got the idea to do this episode. Uh, I had already done this. I had already contacted the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh... Right? I emailed them, Justin. Wow. Yeah. 
to get some information on Dr. Joseph Bell. This is before you even knew we were going to talk about him. Long before. You were just interested. One, two years ago? Wow. Last year. Okay, okay. Early last year. Uh, so we're probably a year and a half ago. And I contacted an archivist. I didn't know who I was emailing. Okay. So I just shoot an email off to the to the college there. And I'm just wanting to get any information I can get about the good doctor. And um, she, the archivist that contacts me back within like 48 hours, I was surprised. She sends me a couple of things. Uh, I well, think, I mean, it had to go around the world. <laughs> so it takes a while. I get it. It is a long way. Yeah. She uh, at first was, uh, I guess, because of the COVID thing, she was telling me that uh, a lot of you know a lot of stuff has has not been digitized. It's not online anywhere. It's in their archives, so they have hard copies, a lot of letters, a lot of things that Doctor Bell wrote. Uh, that you know, once the college opens back up, whatever, I can come in and check things out. You know, and I was like, well, that's going to be a problem because you know I'm six thousand miles away. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing here. I don't know exactly what the distance is. Uh, Roughly, I think you're about another you're, continent. I think if you did kilometers, you would have more. You're probably right about kilometers. Probably, yeah. yeah. On another, on another continent, another country far away, across the pond. Oh, you beat me to it. I was about to say it. That's what I told her in the email. I yeah. said across the pond, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm sure she laughed. I was just gonna say, I'm sure she loved that little joke. Uh, but uh, she was, you know, she sent me a couple of things uh, that they had digitized. wasn't much. I think it was his obituary. And it was uh, a letter from Conan Doyle to him confirming that he was the inspiration for Sherlock Holmes and that he was glad that uh, that he really sort of appreciated, you know. Because you have to remember at the time, Conan Doyle, he starts writing this character. He'd been out of medical school for some time. He just happened to think back on this professor he had in college that had this crazy ability to just pick people apart and figure everything out about them, you know? Yeah. So he was just, you know, glad that his professor was happy. And he, you know, the, that, I think that was basically the only thing that she sent me was just those two two items. Yeah. Which she told me to not digitally reproduce anywhere online. So I've, I've stayed true to that. I've not posted those anywhere online, but yeah. I think you can pretty much find them anywhere. It wasn't really anything like... Hush, yeah. hush, top secret about yeah. Dr. Bell, you know? Yeah. So anyway. Like, like he's a gray? Right. Nothing like that? No. Well, good. Yeah. Good, good. Unfortunately, good. But, uh, you know, we go above and beyond here. The Terrible Effects Podcast. Yeah. You know, emailing colleges. God, uh, yeah. Trying to get uh, information, even though I got absolutely nothing from it. Um. One interesting thing that I did ask her, though, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, uh, if you want to. I don't know. Yeah, sure. What the hell? Uh, Was his involvement, as we can probably sort of start transitioning over into the forensic side of things a little bit, um, is his involvement in the Jack the Ripper case? Yes, that's right. Dr. Bell. Mr. Ripper. Was uh, brought in to uh, try to identify Jack the Ripper. He and his colleague, uh, Dr. Henry Littlejohn. And so she confirmed that for me. I'd read that on the internet several different places, but I had never confirmed it with anybody officially. 
Right. So it was good to do that, right? I think. Because, well, I mean, the internet's usually full of truthful things, but if you can just go ahead and get a you know, confirmation. It's, it's, it's mostly all facts, right? Yeah, well, yeah, 100%. Yeah, somebody's blog, you know. Yeah, Bob's website. And then I confirmed it in several books, too, surprisingly enough. Books? Yeah, <laughs> those stupid things. Um, she said, uh, I have attached a letter which I hope you will enjoy reading. This is Arthur Conan Doyle's letter to Bell, acknowledging him as the main inspiration. Just that's her telling me about that, blah, blah, blah. Bell's obituary. As far as I am aware, Bell was consulted on the Ripper case alongside Henry Duncan Littlejohn, who was also a uh, who was the president of their college, and they both provided the same name. In quote, mm-hmm. the thing is, that name has been lost to history. Whoever it is, they discovered as being the possible Jack the Ripper. Uh, has disappeared. That name disappeared. We don't even know if perhaps maybe he was secretly apprehended, which could have also happened. Right. I mean, or. It's a wild west back in those days. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Victorian era England. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty sketch, pretty abysmal existence. Oh, yeah. Whitechapel and all pretty that foggy. stuff. Foggy. Smog. Yeah. You have to think all the factories, yeah. all the chimneys, soot. Wet cobblestones. Right, uh, you know, <laughs> Oliver Twist, you know? Yeah, Little, uh, mice, <laughs> rats. So anyway. I don't know, go ahead. In case anybody didn't know that, yeah, it's like it's like a crazy Sherlock Holmes versus like, uh, you know, what's the guy, his arch en- nemesis, what was his name? Moriarty. Moriarty, it's exactly yeah. what that is. In real life, Yeah, Sherlock Holmes was... You know, sought after to find uh, the to find out the identity of Jack the Ripper. Yeah, and which he they, they they came to the same conclusion, and it's gone, like you said, and confirmed with the archivist that it disappeared which, somehow. Which is crazy that stuff like that around the world just goes missing. Like the we were talking uh, the the moon landing, the original film of that, right? Gone. The footage. Footage. How what? do you lose that? How is that? taped over or whatever the hell they did they put the wrong vhs tape Whoops. in yeah yeah did the, they tape the super bowl over it i don't understand how you lose that how this all kinds of stuff well that sort of leads into a possible conspiracy which we deal with day in and day out around this place jack the ripper was epstein or possibly associated with someone in high high position of power i know that the yeah. theory's been put forward that he was in some way associated with perhaps the royal family oh he could have been somebody of you know, wealth an elite of some kind just getting his kicks getting his kicks possibly nobody knows yeah if that's the case they could have been protecting his identity or if he wasn't and maybe they actually did apprehend the guy maybe they actually got him but there will be something a little later that i'll talk about oh that will uh, possibly throw a wrench in the whole idea and the information that they were going off of at the time would have given them the identity of the person that they may or may not thought it was. Okay. And I'll tell you about that a little later. Okay. It's just something, uh, it's a book I actually read recently. And I think I shared something uh, on the Instagram talking about it, which I was recommending. It was one of our book recommendations. Which at I Terribly Vex Podcast. On Instagram. On Instagram. 
you know, just yeah, post in there. a lot of fun stuff there. Yeah. I know uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, researchers do a lot of uh, Twitter threads. They do deep dives on stuff. Eh, kind of our kind of our little uh, social media outlet there. Most times it's going to be Instagram. Yeah. Like, I think we're, we're coming to all of them, though. It's going to be like, yeah. I might as well go ahead and say it. If you post on Instagram, it's going to be going to Twitter, Facebook, and hopefully we're going to start doing this on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. all connected. Yeah. And you can see that all on terriblyvex.com it's up we got it <laughs> so enjoy it's official enjoy it's our home that's it our is. home now you can come and see us and say hi send us a message you can do that there direct message right to us but go ahead no that's it i was saving that for the end really but hey you can say it again later oh i will 100 percent. yeah it's uh so anyway yeah that's just that he was consulted on the Jack the Ripper case. We were going to kind of talk about his uh, his forensic work a little bit, I guess. I think you had some information on that. Not Maybe not so much his forensic stuff, but like as far as... Uh, his detective work. He was doing casework for the police, for Scotland Yard. Right. Right. Yeah. But I mean, as far as like his medical stuff, I had stuff that like, you know, it's like his, his earlier days and like he's very he's a pioneer in other stuff as well it's like such as sterilization in hospitals that was one of his big oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. stuff like stuff like that you know you want me to go ahead and get into that or sure or, we'll I talk mean, about his medical we can do that or do you want to get on with the the, the exciting stuff <laughs> no 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 we we need a basis a base for this you know to, to to lay it all on so well i mean you know back in those days surgeons would wear you know gowns for multiple surgeries you know, the same gown covered in God knows whose blood. You're cutting into Tissue. somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And so Bell just came up with this idea. He says, hey, you know what, guys? Perhaps <laughs> this is Maybe. what's causing like gangrene transmissions around the hospital. So they they swapped out gowns, and sure enough, put, lo and behold. Put clean ones on. Yep. Wash our hands. Yeah. That pr- Basic cleanliness. Pretty much went away. See, we have to think like, you know. This this wasn't always the case. People weren't always no. thinking in terms of like, I mean, this was groundbreaking stuff at the time. It's hard to believe now, but like, you know, yeah. wash your hands and change clothes. Let's not use the bloody entrail covered, you know. Yeah. And then uh, you might know a man. You might use one of his products to this day. I'm going to go ahead and bring up another another player in this little podcast here. Joseph Lister. Are you familiar with that man? Uh, yeah, I am. Well, for those of you that are not, it's the man whose uh, Listerine is still used to this day by many people. But uh, I never, Joseph, I never found that. You told me about that, and I I looked and looked and looked and could never, yeah, well, confirm well, that information. Where in the hell did you find? that? I don't remember. I just have these notes. I need to like start doing a bibliography, but I really suck at those. I would I'm, encourage our listeners to check that one out for themselves. I'm not convinced. Just okay. Well, yeah. Joseph Lister. He uh, he created a carbolic spray in the late 1870s, and it would like fill up a whole room with like, this mist that would just sanitize the whole room, much like wonderful Listerine does to your mouth. It fills your whole mouth and sanitizes it. It was a yellow spray, and it would just do that. But Bell was like one of the first on board with that. He was like, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, but Joseph Lister. Next episode. It's all about Listerine. 
Yeah, and then uh, at bore the shit out of everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, old Doctor Bell. He worked in the Royal Hospital for sick children, and he got uh, caught. Is what I meant to say. Uh, diphtheria, and it lasted for months and left him with a limp. But while he was in the hospital, uh, you know, with kids and all that, he noticed a lot of the kids had similar symptoms, mainly diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh gross yeah and he didn't know at the time but he did notice this was noted in his journals that a lot of the kids that were sick like that they they craved moldy cheese and he thought there was something behind that and then you know later on in 1928 old alexander fleming discovered penicillin on moldy cheese in a petri dish so he didn't know what he was what he was going for, but Bell was he was onto something. He started to see something. He was taking in clues and putting putting pieces together. And, and had he been given a little more time, I think he would have probably put two and two together. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, think about that. You know, we're we're several generations, many generations are used to having penicillin, having these things at our disposal. We go, yep. we need something. Yeah. You know, for what? And you got it. Whereas back in the day, nope. It was was luck, pretty much. Yeah. But, you know, now we got it. Take it for granted. We do. I think we take a lot of this stuff for granted. These discoveries that they made back then. Yeah. And, you know, he would he'd also, a lot of the times, I just saw this one little note here, like you might later on, we might talk about his... How he was like portrayed as very like emotionless and just kind of straight straight to the point, this that and the other, right? Right. But he would also he would like regularly donate his time, help less fortunate, homeless, like just sick people, and like he, he was a Doctor Bell, right? Yeah, of course. He was just a nice man. He was a good guy. He was a great guy. He was legit. But all the stories that you hear about him, he was very cold and icy. Maybe he was Jack the Ripper. I remember reading he had a uh, kind of an odd walk. Uh, Conan Doyle talked about his use of the vernacular. Said he was very sharp hmm. uh, when he when he would speak, and he had a like an eagle's face. Yeah, uh, yep. we'll post some pictures of him, uh, some photographs of him. Yeah, on the Instagram there. Hawk for you. nosed. Hawk nosed. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, I wonder if the walk was because of the limp that he got from his diphtheria. Yeah, could have been. So he was sick for months, left him with a limp, perhaps. Maybe that's what... Maybe Conan Doyle was making fun of a sick man, and he didn't even know it. jerk. Yeah. And they served him. (laughs) You believe this? Yes, they did. Back then, though, did, did sir mean as little back then as it does now? I think it meant probably quite a bit more. It meant more? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I was going to say they give it to everybody, but maybe back then they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Because nowadays, what, Sir Elton John. Yeah. They just, eh, it's not. Does he really? No disrespect to Elton John. Tiny dancer, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't deserve to be a knight. Yeah. Knighted. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Conan probably deserved it. Yeah. That kind of a man deserves it. I think so. Yeah. His, what, his creation, his character. But, uh, yeah, so eagle-faced, it's kind of a hawk nose, you know, sort of a sharp, peering 
It's just gaze. A general bird of prey demeanor. Yeah. So an interesting character, Dr. Bell. Yeah. I think so. So we're talking about him, for God's sake. Yeah, I've just I've I've brought this up to people before in conversation because I'm a dork like that. But like uh, you know, like did you know Sherlock Holmes was was a real guy? You know, fun facts. I like to <laughs> like to do that. <laughs> fun fact for you. Well, like I said earlier, I think I, uh, when you texted me this idea, I, was, I didn't know who the hell he was, but interesting man. Yeah, and like, uh, too, we're talking about the forensic stuff, like in the crime side of things, like when he was used by Scotland Yard, um, he he never wanted any sort of, which I think that was a, a, a trait that he shared with Sherlock Holmes. He did not want any sort of uh, fame, or he did not want to be known when his work yeah. was being utilized, when his abilities, when he was being brought into a case. Just there to help. Just there to help to solve the case. Yeah, wasn't in it for the glory. He definitely he didn't, he didn't want to get his name in National Geographic. Well, and to all, you know, you also kind of think, too, that's a safety kind of an issue as well. Like, what if you help them convict someone and um, this person disappears, comes looking for you? Next thing you know, yeah. Or their family or something else like that. So. Yeah. There was probably part of that, but then also part that he really was just a good guy and just wanted to help solve the case. Yeah. And whatever it was. Part of me thinks also, I'm sure he probably found it fun too. You know, you're that good at something and just, yeah, just a. Another another outlet to use his abilities and his skills. Yeah. It's got to feel good. Yeah. Like when, like Ace Ventura, whenever he, you know, described all his, that's what Bell would do every time. You know, he do you feel that? He would air hump and stuff. Yeah. Bell would do that's where Ace Ventura got that from. <laughs> I'm sure that's where, yeah. I'm sure just I'm just sure it feels that good is all I'm saying. He uh, didn't really do that. No, he didn't really do it. Yeah. What was the um H. H. Holmes, right? Pardon me? H. H. Holmes? Was he one of the Jack the Ripper? Suspects for a while there. I think I've seen that, but yeah. I, you know, it's one of the notes I got. Which I, you know, people are familiar with H. H. Holmes. He's a good one, as far as those guys go. He's a great one. Can but you recommend a was that a? It wasn't an audio book that you recommended. It was talking about H. H. Holmes. But. It was. It was. It was called the the Devil in the White City. Okay, by Eric Larson, and it's really this was the same phenomenal. roughly the same time period, I guess, which is why. Yeah. Uh, so H. H. Holmes was he captured roughly at the same time period that after? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if he if it was after and they think he fled. Yeah, and came to Chicago and started doing his whole thing there. And uh, and maybe maybe some of that came from from what I read in one of the books was talking about uh, some of the wording in the different letters that Jack the Ripper wrote, uh, like the I don't know was it the Dear Boss letter maybe. I'm some of the some of the wording was quote American. It wasn't British, which is kind of what let possibly. You see what I'm saying? I didn't possibly, know that. yeah. I'm. Thank God, I just remembered that to keep us going here. <laughs> so that's okay. So that's why H H was at one point I, considered well, suspect, and probably other people too. I think yeah. they had other people, but I think some of the wording in some of the letters didn't seem to be British. Huh. And that may have been one of them. I think I saw that as being one of them. If I'm wrong, 
you know. Who's the, nobody listens to shit anyway. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I saw that though, which is kind of an interesting. It is. Could yeah. have led to him uh, in in their hypothesis as to who this person may have been, or what his profession was, or where he came from. I'm sure lots of other things played into it as well, like the particular area, Whitechapel. Yeah. Uh, the East End, where all of the the crimes were happening. Uh, which I guess now would probably be as good as time as any. We're kind of talking about the forensic stuff, the 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 crime fighting side of Doctor Joseph Bell. Yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago, while I was doing a little research for this podcast, I stumbled across a book called The Five. Did I tell you about that? No. I posted something no. on the Instagram just as the book recommendation, which I mentioned earlier. Uh. Author's name is Haley Rubenhold, and I think she's British. Anyway, she wrote a book called The Five, and it's basically just, I would say, probably roughly three to four chapters devoted to each one of the five known victims of Jack the Ripper. Hmm. And uh, this is just sort of a side note to the whole thing. We're talking about Dr. Joseph Bell. He researched, yeah. uh, you know, he did he did help on the Jack the Ripper case. We're researching this stuff. I come across that. So I'm just bringing it up now just because it's a good book. I happened to see that it was in the Libby app. I just went ahead and got it. It was available. I consumed it quickly. It was a uh, very interesting uh, pile of information. For How old is the book, Roughly. I think 2019. Okay, so very recent. Very recent book. Brand new information. Uh, I was reading some reviews on this uh, book. Uh, You know, Lady Ditter. I say lady. I'm probably like 15, 20 years older than her. (laughs) This lady, she did her research. Very well-researched book. Did a lot of, uh, you know, digging deep on the different biographies of the women that were known as the Canonical Five. I say they may have actually had more... Uh, Jack the Ripper may have actually had more victims, but these are the ones that are known to be, have, have been thought to have been his victims. For sure. For sure, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. And this would have been all the ones that, you know, most people know about. Uh, anyway. So she did, uh, you know, several chapters on each one of the people. One of the main points, I just want to bring this up, I thought this was very interesting, which could have played into, which I mentioned earlier, could have played into uh, Dr. Joseph Bell and Little John's theory as to who Jack the Ripper was because I did read uh, in one of my sources that uh, he or they thought he may have had some sort of he may have been infected by a prostitute. They assumed that all of these women were prostitutes. Well, in her research, uh, Haley oh, you say, Hold on, you're saying they assumed they were prostitutes? Well, the police, Scotland Yard, assumed right. that all of these women were prostitutes. And in their uh, sort of trying to develop uh, a profile of the killer, you know, long before any sort of FBI profiling of serial killers was, you know, yeah. ever thought of, yeah. Little John and Dr. Bell thought that perhaps maybe he had been infected or, you know, some sort of infection infection from a prostitute maybe he frequented seeing prostitutes and that could have turned him into a you know he's exacting his revenge some revenge you see what i'm saying yeah but you're okay but the the, all the women were prostitutes that's the thing 
they weren't all prostitutes. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. This is why this is why I recommended this book and why okay. you should check it out yourself. It's very interesting because uh, what you had was was at least three of them, I believe she said, um, were not really prostitutes, could have possibly turned a trick to make some money because, again, think back on the time period, Victorian era, London, abysmal, Okay. You're working in like bleach factories. You're working in just horrible conditions. Matchstick dipping. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was a bad job back in the day. I'd have to imagine that it would be, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, you're you're paid very little. It's you know, yeah, human bondage basically is all it is. And uh, so at that time period too, the status or the position of women was that you basically you had to have a husband who was, you know, something in society, who was who had money, and you were secondary to everything, you know, involving him and the family and everything like that. So if you lost those things for whatever reason, which several of these women did, then you were essentially sort of cast out of society. Yeah. Okay, and she, she really drives that point home and proves that with a lot of the information that she found through her research. A lot of these women had... Families, husbands, kids. Uh, a couple of them became alcoholics, and through, you know, series of life events, made them, you know, lose their families, lose their husbands. They end up on the streets. Next thing you know, they're crossing paths with the Ripper. They're getting ripped. Yeah. So two of them probably Man. were prostitutes, and then the others probably were not but had just ended up in many you know through unfortunate uh, steps events in life yeah. ended up on the streets of Whitechapel in the east end area so it's just an interesting side note to the whole thing that their original sort of hypothesis as to who the person may have been it could have seriously affected that and they could have been completely way off just want to throw that out there. I don't think anybody's connected those dots yet. I didn't. I didn't know that. But That's you're hearing it very... here first on the Terrible Vex <laughs> podcast. I'll tell you right now. There it is. Hey. We are our diligent researching that, that we do for these episodes. That was brilliant. I, I thought it was kind of cool. Also, yeah. uh, I'd recommend people pick up that book. Check it out. What was it called again? The Five by Haley Rubenhold. And uh, it's just a couple years old. Great book. Hmm. Let's check that out. It's a quick read, as they say. Suck you right in. Like a 120-pager? I don't think so. <laughs> All right. I'm out then. Forget it. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah. Because I, I, I know of Jack Thrip. I know the very... I've seen From Hell. So this would have been like 1888 to, I think, 1891 is when those murders happened? Yeah. Uh, sort of the hmm. time period. I would like to know, know more about that. I'm going to start with that. Thank you. You're going to start with her her book. Okay, and so for people that may be interested in the Jack the Ripper side of things, she doesn't talk about Jack the Ripper at all. All right, forget what I said. If you're wanting to find out about Jack the Ripper, but the information that she provides you of the people that leads in their life up to the point where they get killed by Jack the Ripper and some of that that sort of crosses over into the crime scene and the, you know, yeah. all of that information you definitely need to read that book. So I'm going to do it. And again, I just, you know, happened to get it. It was available. Got it. And I've been telling everybody about it. Yeah. Now you're telling everybody. Yeah. Literally. Everybody. Yeah. 
Uh, well, is that all? Is that all you have as far as Jack the Ripper stuff goes? Yeah, it was really not. I didn't want to go down a whole Jack the Ripper thing. This is about yeah. Doctor Joseph Bell, yeah. but it's just important that he was uh, utilized because he had kind of already made a name for himself yeah. in working with Scotland Yard, which we can talk about some of those now too. Which I, you know, I've mentioned them, but yeah, well, I mean, Eugene Chantrell—that's his first big boy case. That was his first one. Was I that think. the first big? That one? was his first major thing, which it's. We'll get to it when we're done here, but go ahead. You got probably have more notes than I do on it. I just got a little basic rundown. No, no, by all means. Uh, jeez. Um, <laughs> I've been talking for like so Eugene, twenty minutes here. You got, you got it. You got. Uh, this let's one. see. What, let's see what I can make out of this. Uh, you and you correct me if I got anything wrong. Because I have notes too. We'll just go back and forth oh, there. Perfect. I'm not leaving you hanging, bro. Okay, I'm just gonna do a quick thing of the whole thing. Quick thing of the whole thing. Right? That's what this podcast is all about. Of the stuff. Yeah. Quick thing of the stuff. Bada bing, bada boom. Uh, so Eugene Chantrell, this is from, um, he was a French teacher in 1878 at the Newington Academy in Edinburgh. Right? And he had a wife named Elizabeth Chantrell. And um, she was said to have died from a supposed fire, a coal gas poisoning fire in their in their home, much like carbon monoxide, I would imagine, right? Yeah, carbon monoxide poisoning, I guess. Yeah, yeah. She goes to bed, falls asleep, whatever. This guy comes in there, Eugene, the husband comes home, calls, nine, was it 999 over there? Obviously, then no phones, but you know what I mean. He, did, he <laughs> called the police, made a big stink, got the, got the investigators over. Oh uh, yeah, she died from coal poisoning. Whatever they whatever they had the heat in their house. Um, Apparently, he took out a thousand dollar life insurance policy against uh, any sort of accidental death. Yes, of his wife, uh, August eighteen seventy seven. She was found unconscious in the morning of second of January eighteen seventy eight. Mm-hmm. She later died in the hospital. Now, maids in the, in the household and, and this was an this was a quote that i got from a from a maid back then he was a real asshole this was not a real quote but apparently from what i what they got from the maids he was a real asshole physically and he actually threatened to poison her his wife as well he'd already run in his mouth yes 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 he yelled at her a lot and said she would this this is a quote he yelled at her a lot and said that she would go to hell so uh, okay. Yeah, so he was just not... He, this guy was a real jerk. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. And uh, so Bell gets gets to do the autopsy, right? On Elizabeth? Yeah. Okay, I thought you were you're looking at me like you were, I was about to say something wrong. No, he does the autopsy. Liar! And apparently, I didn't know this either, but when you, if you die from like gas poisoning or fume poisoning, stuff like that, right? your organs reek of that stuff. Like your blood is just it's filled with it, so your you, tissues absorb it. Yeah, I didn't know that, but Bell checked their insides out, and I was like, I don't. There's no, there's no odor here. This smells like a normal, just a dead. There's no gas, no fume, no coal, no nothing. So that was part one. There, he's like, oh boy, something's fishy. Something's going on. And then I didn't know this either. Back in 1878, you could do blood tests, like to check the blood for. You know, like a what do they call it, toxicology. I didn't know they could do that back then, but they did find uh, opium crystals in the blood. So she, he had OD'd her, perhaps, perhaps. And so at this point, Bell's like, hmm, right? 
Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. What, what he did. Yeah. So go ahead. What else do you got here? <laughs> I don't have anything else. <laughs> yeah. So that long story short here, that's what the guy did. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, no. No. Uh, Joseph Bell went back into the home and searched the room and all that, and he found a small vial that had opium in it that matched the stuff that was in her blood. So crime solved, right? That guy was executed, right? Uh, I don't know. Eugene? Oh, yeah. He was arrested and sentenced to death and hanged yeah, yeah, at yeah, Carlton yeah. Prison Yeah, in Edinburgh. Yeah. Now, that's all well and good, but to me, the most interesting part of this story, do you, unless you have more, I'm going to move on a little bit from that case. Wait, wait, wait. Before you move on, I'm pretty sure uh, that case is mentioned in one of the documentaries on YouTube, Okay. and I think... That uh, wasn't wasn't somebody brought in. Didn't Bell bring somebody in to check and see if the like the coal pipe or whatever it was had been tampered with? Do you remember that? Did you ever see that? Yeah, I, th- I think that's what I watched. Is where I got this from. But I I left that part out. I guess <laughs> no. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure they did more than just what I said. Just <laughs> Bell's just like hey. Yeah, but I wonder if that was used to sort of like incapacitate her, if it was sort of like the guy was using multiple things to try and kill her. Yeah, or so there was the no eater, and then also, you know, the carbon monoxide poisoning. I think, yeah, I don't or know, like a combination just, of the he two. He was just trying to get that that policy, trying to get that skrilla, trying to get that skrilla, right? Yeah. And uh, he did, I guess, for a minute. Yeah, for a little while until, until Sherlock was put on the case. Sherlock. Yeah, but it's. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no, no. Nope. I was going to do the same thing I was going to do. No, I was just going to say that she, there was a lot of, this was another, I was going to go off on a weird tangent about Sherlock versus Bell. Not a good time to go into it. You go ahead. Well, I was going to say, this is, it's an odd little side note here about this case that we were talking about Sherlock Holmes, a great literary character. And uh, apparently Eugene Chantrell met Robert Louis Stevenson. This was the murderer. Eugene Chantrell was the murderer of his wife, Elizabeth, and he met Robert Louis Stevenson at a uh, at a mutual friend's, Victor Richon. Anyways, so Robert Louis Stevenson kind of knew that uh, Eugene was kind of an ass, and he saw the bad side of him, and he Picked was the it. inspiration for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Eugene Chantrell. It's crazy. Yeah, what are the odds? Two characters like that. Connected. A little bit crossing path, yeah. I mean, you've got... That's crazy. The real-life Jack the Ripper, who is, you know... And you've got Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You've got Sherlock Holmes from Bell. Yeah. It's craziness. That's a crazy... That's crazy, Holmes. Well done. Well (laughs) done. You know what that's from? I, I I don't know exactly, no. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I can. I, I can. You did. That's why you're. What is it from? Uh, it's uh, Training Day. It's crazy, Holmes. Uh, see, I just I pictured Fast and Furious. I mean, God, there's a lot of different stuff that could have been from. That's wild, though, isn't it? It is. It's uh, it's pretty interesting, though. I remember stumbling across that when I was looking at that same case, and I was like, "What the hell?" Yeah. That's just the nuts. Yeah. So, I can also talk about how Bell. What he thought of being Sherlock Holmes, being the inspiration for Sherlock Holmes. By all means. Apparently, he didn't really like it all that much. 
He thought. Oh, uh, you know what? That's exactly kind of what I was going. That you, the tangent I was going to go off on a second ago. Perfect. I, it's just along those same lines. Yeah. Uh, it's important to note that if you read Sherlock Holmes and you think, "Oh, this is exactly how Doctor Bell is," no. um, he's not exactly like Sherlock Holmes in a lot of ways. His ability and his knowledge base to deduce is that all works the same. Yeah. Okay, that was directly pulled from Dr. Bell, but like personality-wise, I think that's the character trait that Doyle used for Sherlock. He just got that from Bell, that yeah. one little part of him popped it into his character Sherlock. Yeah, Holmes. he had to create a, ultimately he had to create his own yeah. unique character there, but yeah, I got a little a quote here from Bell. He was talking about how um, he didn't like the fact that he was portrayed to be so heartless. Because, like I said earlier, he was a nice guy, charitable, you know. Right. Got that. Sherlock's kind of, you know, right to the point. He's like a machine. Yeah. He, he doesn't exactly. care. Yeah. And he once wrote to, of course, my bibliography is missing. Uh, but he wrote, uh, I am haunted by my double, Sherlock Holmes. Which, I guess it's kind of that kind of sucks. I wonder if Arthur Doyle. Wait. Conan Doyle. There we go. What if he? What if he felt bad about that? Or if I don't know. Nah. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. From the letter from the archivist said, you know, he was pretty much happy with. He was all right with it. I think he was okay with it. All right. It's just he didn't want people to assume because Sherlock was pretty, pretty much uh, black and white. Yeah. You know, and he had a lot of character traits that uh, you know Bell didn't have. He was also kind of a. You know, drug addict with the cocaine and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want people to think that he were he was like that. He right. talks about that several times, and there's there's several instances where he brings that up. Yeah. And I I have that letter. Should I preface that? You know, I'm talking about the one that but it's from uh, a day with Doctor Conan Doyle by Harry Howe. Great name. And this is from an article in the Strand magazine in 1892. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and read that right now. But really, I, I I pre-read this and cut out all the mistakes that I made because I'm awful at, you know. Brilliant. Yeah. So We're not going to do that. Uh, so I'll, I've tried that before, too. It's it's a mistake. Yeah, it's horrible. I, just, I took the liberty of pre-reading this and cutting out all my problems. <laughs> and I may have a little outtake reel I can play later. We'll see. I'm excited. But uh, right now, here's that letter. This is from Dr. Joseph Bell, June 16th, 1892, written to Harry Howe. Dear Sir, you asked me about the kind of teaching to which Dr. Conan Doyle has so kindly referred when speaking of his ideal character, Sherlock Holmes. Dr. Conan Doyle has, by his imaginative genius, made a great deal out of very little and his warm remembrance of one of his old teachers has colored the picture. In teaching the treatment of disease and accident, all careful teachers have first to show the student how to recognize accurately the case. The recognition depends in great measure on the accurate and rapid appreciation of small points in which the diseased differs from the healthy state. In fact, the student must be taught to observe. To interest him in this kind of work, we teachers find it useful to show the student how much a trained use of the observation can discover in ordinary matters such as the previous history, nationality, and occupation of a patient. 
The patient, too, is likely to be impressed by your ability to cure him in the future if he sees you at a glance know much of his past. And the whole trick is much easier than it appears at first. For instance, physiognomy helps you to nationality, accent to district, and to an educated ear almost to county. Nearly every handicraft writes its sign manual on the hands. The scars of the miner differ from those of the quarryman. The carpenter's callousites are not those of the mason. The shoemaker and the tailor are quite different. The soldier and the sailor differ in gait, though last month I had to tell a man who said he was a soldier that he had been a sailor in his boyhood. The subject is endless. The tattoo marks on hand or arm will tell the tale as to the voyages. The ornaments on the watch chain of the successful settler will tell you where he made his money. A New Zealand squatter will not wear a gold mohu, nor an engineer on an Indian railway a Maori stone. Carry the same idea of using one's senses accurately and constantly, and you will see that many a surgical case will bring his past history, national, social, and medical into the consulting room as he walks in. Dr. Conan Doyle's genius and intense imagination has on this slender basis made his detective stories a distinctly new departure, but he owes much less than he thinks to yours truly. Dr. Joseph Bell. Well done, me. <laughs> it's yeah. much better. You have to do that, I think. Yeah. So you can see that he kind of, you know, thought a lot of it was up to, you know, up in Conan's head. All of, you know, he, he really used more of his imagination. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's also kind of, you can compare, obviously, Dr. Bell to Sherlock Holmes. And you can also compare uh, Dr. Watson to Conan Doyle, his sidekick. Right. They really put him in the place of his sidekick, uh, which I think other people have noted in several books, too, that yeah. you can see. Yep. I think, um, th- I think that's where I got confused about the little John, Conan Doyle, Watson. I think I, I got all those. All yeah, those there was. There was there. I've seen that, too. But, I mean, clearly, when you look at the description and you look at, you know, Conan Doyle describing Watson being the more compassionate of the two. Yeah, bringing a little yeah. heart into the situation with Sherlock Holmes because Sherlock Holmes was all about the deets. He didn't care. He didn't care. Whose feelings? Was logical. It was facts. Yep. It was what is going to. He was driven by solving the case. Yep. That was it. And so, Doctor Watson was definitely the guy that was, you know, brought a little more humanity into it, and that would have been Conan Doyle's place in that. Yeah. So I don't think a lot of people knew that either, really. But if you can. If you're interested in this, if you're listening to this podcast at all, and you were curious, I think you can go ahead and uh, we can make that assumption. I would imagine so. So anyway, so yeah, so I think we did a great job. Yeah, you know, it's it's just uh, if there's, you're interested in this, there's a lot of information out there. We're going to include links to the books. Yeah. you can find them yourself. Yeah, there's obviously a lot more. Yeah, there's you know, there's a lot more instances where they're talking about. I think there's at least a few more cases that uh, they talk about directly. Uh, that are that are pretty interesting. Where it talks about Doctor Bell using his powers of deduction, and uh, you can check those out mm-hmm. if you want to. But so anyway, I guess uh, you want to go ahead. And, do you have any other information before we close this one out that you um, want to share I don't, about the real Sherlock Holmes? I don't think so. I think um, I think we covered all the bases with what we have here. We got we got enough out there. So I think even people who didn't know are going to be interested now, and they're going to be like, all right. We've piqued interest. Let me read that book. And then they go there. Speaking of books, if you want to win a book, 
<laughs> you could go uh, on over to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, leave us a comment, and you may just win. What's the book, Josh? Go. I don't know. The Lost Diary of Admiral Richard E. Byrd. You, you actually have that somewhere? I mean, I'll, I'll have to order it when somebody <laughs> does, but it'll be a fresh, brand new copy. Uh, other than that, well, you go to terriblyvex.com. You get access to everything there. Yeah. Every social feed, recent episodes. We're going to hopefully post some pictures up soon, maybe. Sure. Yeah, pictures. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start doing stuff. And I think that's about it, right? I think so. I mean, I got, I got nothing. Oh, I talked to you earlier about this. You, my brother's music. Can I bring that up? Absolutely. My brother, Jacob Perlioni, he's uh, he's killing it in Nashville. He's got a couple songs on the radio. He just, you know, did some live performances. And I thought it would be all right. It'd be cool. Cool. Real cool. Perhaps. We listened to the song prior to recording. Very good song. It's called Praying to Ravens. It's pretty kick-ass. Singing maybe end the show with that, perhaps. Do it to it. What do you think about that? Let's do it. All right. So Jacob Perlioni Music, you can go on you know, Instagram for that, and Jacob Perlioni on YouTube, and here is Praying to Ravens. See you all next time. Bye-bye.
From this is from Doctor. This is from Doctor Joseph Bell. Doctor Conan Joyle had, and his warm remembrance of one of his old teachers has. Oh my God in heaven! And his warm remembrance of one of his old teachers has colored the picture. Fuck that up too. The recognition depends in great measure. The recognition depends in great measure on the accurate rapid. To interest him in this kind of work, we teachers find it useful to show the student how much a trained use of the observation. <sighs> to interest him in this kind of work, we... Jesus Christ. The patient, too, is likely to be impressed by your ability to cure him in the future if he sees you. Oops. The patient, too, is likely to... And the whole trick is much easier than it... For instance, physiognomy helps you... For instance... Physiognomy helps you to national. God damn it. The scars of the miner differ from those of the quarryman. The carpenter's... Dr. Conan Doyle's genius and intense imagination has on this slender basis made his detective stories a distinctly new departure, but he owes much less than he thinks to yours truly. Dr. Joseph Bell. Woo! Okay. <clears throat> 